My name's Alison Thorne, and I've also forgotten to put my name on my slide. Uh, um, I've come today to talk to you about a project that I manage, so I'm talking from quite an operational frontline perspective, um, which is in Rotherham, and it's the Pathways Project, um, and it's run by Together for Mental Wellbeing. We're a mental health charity, um, the oldest mental health charity in England, and also Transition to Adulthood. Um, which we've heard a bit about already. So, why why are we in existence? Well, the background to that is that um, you know, blowing out the candles on an 18th birthday cake does not magically transform anyone into a fully functioning mature adult, which is a relief to many of us. Uh, <laughs> And this is something that T2A are obviously very interested in. Um, they are arguing for a distinct approach for uh, young adults aged 18 to 24 within the criminal justice system. Because of that fact, you don't suddenly become responsible and not impulsive, don't take any risks. And that's obviously backed up by the evidence we've seen about the uh, age crime curve as well. So it is the peak age for offending, but it's also the age at which a person is most likely to desist from crime with the right support. So with that in mind, um, T2A Alliance have set up pilot projects. So we're one of six um, nationally, and but together, as it's a mental health charity, we're, we're the only one of those six that has a mental health slot to it as well. So we're targeting 17 to 24-year-olds, and we chose 17 rather than 18 as a start age to try and get some of those people who might be making that transition from uh, child to adult services. <coughs> so they should be at risk of or currently offending, and or at risk of currently or currently overusing emergency services, Experiencing mental distress, so that could be anything, it doesn't need to be um, a diagnosis, it's quite a broad term, and willing to engage with the support. So obviously it's nothing that can be statutorily enforced. So what we see every day, our clients have all of these things going on with them, so that's, again, much of what we've heard already. So they have had a childhood characterised by trauma often. That could be many different types of abuse or neglect. There's uh, intergenerational exclusion at play. So, you know, families have been experiencing this for a long time. Substance misuse issues, offending behaviour, homelessness, poor educational attainment. And all of this is usually in the context of either mental illness or distress, autism, ADHD and learning disability. So the aims of our project, so the obvious one, is to reduce that police or emergency co uh, service contact. So that could be either people being arrested, it could be them making calls as you know, victims of crime. Because what, what we realised quite early on is we're looking at both victims and perpetrators. Um, we would also like to work with wherever possible, like probation officers who, you know, to work with them when they're doing pre-sentence reports, for example, or solicitors to provide the right information about people's diagnoses and needs uh, in relation to their offending. For the individual, we want to increase their well-being and resilience. Um, 
lot of people, you know, they haven't had the kind of environments where they've been able to develop coping skills or learn from um, their caregivers. So that's a really important piece of work. We want to reduce exclusion from networks, communities and services because these are people who are um, multiply disadvantaged in this area. And because of their needs, they are very complex and can be problematic to engage with and to keep in services. So they, they fall through the gaps every time. The staff, therefore, working with them find that very difficult because they don't fit into those neat little boxes that have been provided by services. As we, again, as we've heard, you know, you, you have this diagnosis, you have that need. They're coming with a, a range of needs, and often they might not be meeting the thresholds uh, for particular things. But there's such a lot of things going on that they're in absolute chaos, and you just know that if left, they will eventually meet a threshold. But by which time? There's been plenty of missed opportunities to, to intervene. So one of the things that we like to, to offer um, with any other staff that's involved with a client we're working with is training around um, working collaboratively with problematic or challenging behaviour. So providing strategies and techniques. So it's involving the client in their own sort of management of their behaviour whilst also keeping boundaries but trying to uh, um, move away from punitive approaches wherever possible. So we hope to improve responses locally by doing that, but also feed into strategic responses locally because we have um, a project board made up of senior staff from police, mental health, um, local authority, and our clients are able to either attend that meeting to talk about anything from their experiences with us, with other services, and what it's like to be a young person arrested, all of those kind of things. Um, so they can either attend to say that themselves, or we have a system where we collect feedback, you know, any kind of feedback from really small um, opinions about where they'd like to be seen for an appointment to, you know, right up to the, the larger issues. So we offer a 12-month intervention, and that's something that we started off saying three months, six months, ended up at 12 months because uh, we realised it takes a lot of time just to build a relationship and build that trust, which Sarah was speaking about this, this morning, that they don't have. You know, they, they are used to people flitting in and out of their lives. And so that's really important. And also to not rush in with the questions, the heavy questions about what, you know, what's been going on in their life and what should we do, let's rush in with a plan, because that just doesn't work. And that 12 months is pretty flexible. We'll say we've got one uh, client who's been on with us for about, uh, about 20 months now, because during that time we were working with her, she became pregnant, so obviously we couldn't, couldn't just discharge her. Um, so that's, that allows us to to respond individually to people's needs. Um, appointments take place in the client's preferred environment. Again, it's, it's quite a simple thing, but so many services invite people to come to their building. It doesn't matter how far away they are. Do they have the money to get the bus there? You know, do they have a choice in the time or the date? And very often that leads to people not coming to their appointments. That's another missed opportunity. So... We quickly realised people like to be seen at home, mainly. 
as mentioned, would take time to build that therapeutic relationship, which in many services is, is not just through resource and financial constraints. It's just you know, it's not possible um, before rushing into the work. We are for client-centred support, so we identify with people using a, a bespoke tool about their three hardest things that they've identified and what that would look like if they were beginning to start working on those things and what might their life look if they were without those problems. And we've also had training recently from the multi-systemic therapy team in Sheffield around working with the family, so shared goal setting and bringing in the family to help people achieve their goals. So, psychologically informed support, what does that mean exactly? So we, we use our therapeutic relationship as the most important means of learning and facilitating change with the client. Um, because people may not have had a healthy relationship to to work out those things from being younger, they may not have had those role models. You know, it's so important for us, first and foremost, to create that safe space, that environment where we can be really honest and say, you know, how is that working? When you do this, how does that make me feel? And, and vice versa. Is there anything we could do differently? And obviously there's always hiccups in any relationships. Um, you know, the professional relationship is, is not uh, immune to that. So we use those hiccups and those problems as learning events and kind of celebrate that and you know say we're here alongside you so let's do it together and we try and frame um, people's difficulties from a strengths and resilience perspective so that means that they're viewing it in a way to say you can overcome this you have these tools you have this already there which sounds again obvious but is so often not the case and then once we sort of practice them within our own relationship, we'll start to say, well, let's extend that to everyday life situations. So, you know, with your parents or with your friend, with your probation officer, whoever it is, so that it's generalising the learning. And also just reflecting at the end of every session, increasing self-awareness, the ability to think about impact on others, um, to be more aware of what they have been learning and what those skills are. And as mentioned, so the contracting around challenging or problematic behaviour. So asking the person, what problems do you think might likely come up in, you know, what has been a problem before? Do you get angry? If so, you know, how shall we deal with that if that comes up? You know, would you like to leave the room for five minutes or would you like to go away and come back another day? That sort of thing. Now, because most people find it quite difficult to sit and just talk um, for an hour or whatever or just be face to face chatting about these kind of issues we do a lot of this kind of alongside the practical stuff so you know obviously all the things that are going on elsewhere in their lives so it might be going along to import, uh, important appointments supporting through the police and court mm-hmm. process um, assisting with issues around housing, debt, benefits, employment and training linking in with community resources and a lot of advocating on clients' behalf with other agencies. A lot. <laughs> and we're quite lucky. We've got really good partnership working um, in place. From the offset, we had the district commander of Rotherham Police um, on board. And it was through a meeting with him and uh, 
somebody together that this project got off the ground. So it, it, he was instrumental in setting that up locally. So as mentioned, Barrow Cadbury Trust um, gave us a lot of our funding to set the project up. We also have funding from the CCG and the South Yorkshire Police and Crime Commissioner. And then we have uh, office space given to us by the local council and we're co-located with the Vulnerable Persons Unit, which is a police department, which again is really helpful. Um, and get, just giving those links to you know, staff and also information and some of the uh, feedback that we've had from um, other professionals that are working with clients that we share have said you know, that really helps us to gain better access to uh, agencies like the police and the local NHS Mental Health Trust because of our own links. And we're, we'll be evaluated at the end of our three years by Sheffield Hallam Centre for Community Justice. Um, but initial, initial data is looking quite positive. Um, arrests and police contact is down. What we are seeing is a, ra a, a rise in reporting of um, <coughs> incidents as a victim. However, I think that's probably, well, hopefully um, a positive thing in that people are gaining more confidence in being able to report what's happening to them where perhaps they hadn't before. Um, also, self-reported increases in well-being and, as I said, positive feedback from the, the partners and stakeholders as well about our involvement. So some websites, some further information. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.